0: Hello, you are listening to Nonfic Pod with Bern and Cott, the mainstream cut. This is the free as you like access most areas version. If you want to access all the areas, you need to become one of our patrons at Patreon.com forward slash Nonfic Pod. What do you get by becoming a patron? Well, I mean, there are some stickers out there right now which are pretty damn exciting. But, stickers aside, you also get to access the full interview with today's author. This includes the Shit I Wish I'd Known extended version, where the author shares the shit they wish they'd known. Clues in the title, really. That's patreon.com forward slash non Learn more about the author, more about the craft, maybe get a sticker, and help non keep the jam jamming. Thank you! You're listening
1: to Non-Thick Pod with Byrne and Cod. And in this episode, Cod is speaking with the podding author-comedian Rosie Wilby, who is dedicating her latest book
0: to breakups. Oh, it's a very juicy subject, this one, breakups, isn't it, Bern? What's your most memorable breakup? Hmm, I remember
1: a very dramatic one when I was still definitely a school-aged child. It was back in the day where you had to wait until 6 p.m., to telephone people so that the phone calls would go into off peak rate and ringing up my then boyfriend and his phone being engaged for a very long time. And I think I finally got through at 6.30 and he'd been talking to another girl who I had suspected there'd been a little bit of a flirtation with. And uh, I remember it was it was very much a soap opera breakup of hanging up the phone on him and going, don't ever speak to me again. <laughs> I think it was ruder than that. I can't remember if we're, we're probably going to end up explicit on this episode anyway. Uh, so yeah I I, I was rude. Good. I was very rude but I was very heartbroken because I was 15 and hormonal whereas everything since has been kind of civil. Plus I've been married now for 16 years so it's a long time since I have had a breakup.
0: I haven't got any really exciting breakup stories either I don't think. Like you they've mostly been civil I quite liked one of them where I immediately realized I could go speed dating for the first time in my life. So that softened the blow. But Rosie, of course, she gets to talk to comedians and all sorts of people about breakups in her podcast, the breakup monologues which this book is a spin offs not the right word, is it? It's kind of... what a companion, what? I a companion, guess. Please. A deeper dive. Oh, deeper dive. I hate that phrase, by the way, Emma. Don't be disgusting. Why Why do I hate that phrase? I don't know.
1: I was going to go for it. It was a uh, textual explanation, uh, oh, but maybe that's no, even... No,
0: no. Let's go for that.
1: <laughs> oh, I... I... I have just remembered a very good breakup story, actually, or a post-breakup
0: story. Oh, 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 okay, okay. I'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger. Absolutely cannot wait to hear your salacious tale. In the meantime, let's go over to Rosie and let me introduce her. Oh, oh, and sorry, I'm making a lot of ooh-ooh noises today, but I must apologise before this gets going for the, the recording quality and my mic in this episode. It sounds a little like I'm underwater, And I wasn't, for a change. Anyway, Rosie sounds great though, so that's all that matters. Rosie Wilby is an award-winning comedian, podcaster and author. Her first book, Is Monogamy Dead?, was shortlisted for the Diva Literary Awards 2017 and longlisted for the Polari First Book Prize 2018. Rosie presents the Breakup Monologues podcast and has toured the world with a trilogy of shows that started with The Science of Sex and ended with The Conscious Uncoupling, which was shortlisted for Funny Women Best Show. I started by asking Rosie how the breakup monologues came to be.
2: It all started when I made friends with a a, a fabulous scientist called Dr. Kazi Rahman, who was at Queen's at that time, and now he's at King's College. And he was one of the pioneering scientists, one of the really only people in Britain looking at the origins of our sexual orientation. And I went along and took part in some experiments that he was doing in areas like word fluency, shape recognition, memory, all these different areas where it's seems that LGBT people perform slightly differently. And in certain areas, gay men have capabilities that align with heterosexual women and to some extent although not quite as strongly lesbians sometimes align in map reading and so on with heterosexual men although I I don't I'm terrible at map reading and kind of when you rotate something I can't work out where I am but of course now an iPhone does it all for you so it doesn't matter (laughs) so I was really interested in the sort of scientific aspect of what informs who we're attracted to and who we fall in love with This has been a long journey of really some... Kind of real science psychology underpinning this trilogy of comedy shows and at the end of that trilogy I was talking about relationship endings because it seemed to make sense to begin a trilogy with attraction and first meeting somebody and then in the middle look at monogamy and fidelity and those thorny questions you get into when you've been with someone about five years or so and you start thinking about is this the one I'm going to stay with forever does that mean you know I'll never sort of kiss anyone else and uh, you know connect with somebody else fall in love with somebody else. and and finding your way around all of that. So it made sense to talk about breakups at the end, initially with a show that I had called The Conscious Uncoupling, (laughs) uh, somewhat ironically, because it was about a slightly less conscious uncoupling that I had. Mm -hmm. And then other people, other friends, other performers, writers, storytellers started telling me their breakup stories. And it seemed to make sense to invent a, a live chat show where I would ask other people their breakup stories about their worst breakup moments or funny breakup stories or daft things we've done in the wake of a heartbreak. Because scientifically speaking, we we really are crazy in love. I mean, there are so many chemicals whizzing around our brains that when we both begin and end a relationship, we, we are behaving very, very differently. We are feeling very, very differently to how we might do on an average normal day, normal in inverted commas, what is normal now? It was. Um, it seemed to make sense to start recording those conversations and begin a podcast, the breakup monologues. And I started really learning more and more about breakups and how they work, how people have different recovery strategies, how some of the cliches really do work about eating chocolate, <laughs> you know, because that releases dopamine, yay, <laughs> or doing exercise, or laughing and seeing friends, and how all these things help when we're in that very difficult stage of. What is effectively withdrawing from a drug? Because I was just saying how, you know, when we're in love, we have these chemicals whizzing around and then suddenly some of them are taken away. Our source of, of this kind of excitement and uplift and joy is not there anymore. And it, it really does feel like something that we have become addicted to has suddenly been taken away. So it, it, it is quite a shock when particularly if we've been dumped <laughs> very abruptly by somebody without knowing that it was coming so that sort of happened to me 10 years ago now uh I was dumped by email which at the time I thought was you know that's a bit rude isn't it you know (laughs) what about a face-to-face conversation you know and of course now that would be you know it was quite a respectful email really um so so now it would that would probably rank as quite a polite way of ending something whereas at the time I thought that was absolutely terrible and of course, I joked at the time that I felt much better after I'd corrected her spelling and punctuation. So really, this kind of thinking about breakups, because partly because I've had a lot of breakups in my life, because gay women, interestingly, if you look at the statistics, tend towards more serially monogamous patterns of behaviour than anybody else. So at the beginning of the book, I do kind of with a tongue in cheek a little bit, but I do say, you know, if you want to know about breakups, ask a lesbian, because (laughs) statistically speaking, speaking, lesbians top the divorce charts, don't you know? And it's it's not necessarily that lesbians are all, you know, terribly scatty and, and um, can't commit. We, we really, really can. It's just that if you look at more widely at divorce statistics, divorces are generally initiated by women. So I guess it makes sense that in a lesbian relationship, you've got an even higher chance of it ending. And so I've had quite a serially monogamous life. And largely speaking, I have stayed friends with a lot of exes. I've had a sort of conscious uncoupling, if you like, with many people. And we have stayed in contact and remained friends in in many, many cases, except for the uh, the email woman. sadly in a way, because even she, she's not a terrible person. It's just sometimes human beings behave not as we would wish. And um, we, we, our desires are in conflict. And so we end up hurting one another.
0: So I really enjoyed reading the book. And it struck me that there's a lot of personal things in there. And you talk in the book about, I think you allude to comedy being this way of kind of exposing yourself. And it's painful, but you can laugh about it. Ha ha ha. And it it make it feel a bit better. How did you find the process of writing about it? And how did did you find that in comparison to talking about it on stage? Is there a difference?
2: I think there's a difference because on stage you're immediately exposing yourself. Whereas with a book, there's this weird delay. And um, I handed in my first draft last summer. So you kind of don't feel like people, you almost feel there's a few months where you think, oh, no one's ever going to read it. And then as the publication date gets close, you're like, oh my God, people are going to read it. And in the final edits, I was sort of, (laughs) you know, just checking, just sweating a little bit about people I'd mentioned and whether I'd... Represented them responsibly and and that kind of thing. So there were a few subtle and nuanced shifts just to kind of really feel like I was being kind to people because it's it's really a book about my own journey and how I am dealing with breakups and being in relationships and how to navigate all of that and my own weird eccentric. Thoughts and ideas rather than necessarily, you know, having a go at anybody else. So yeah, there is a there's there is a strange delay, which I think makes it feel very different. But I also love the idea of of having a book where that is a an a, an object, a thing that exists, whereas comedy is so fleeting and so ephemeral, even if you film a comedy show. It's not quite the same as what happens with the energy in the room. There's a kind of disconnect. So I've often thought, you know, I wish I could kind of bottle this and keep this magic that's here in this room, but then a comedy gig ends. So I think a book is kind of your authentic voice and expression, which remains.
0: I suppose the thing about books in comparison to being on stage as well, is that the reaction can last a lot longer. So if you're having what you might consider to be a dud gig, it's okay. It's kind of been and gone. Breakup Monologues has got lots about rejection and (laughs) personal rejection. Do you worry about, as an author, about reader rejection? Is that something you think
2: about? I think you just have to, as I have done with comedy, and particularly with Edinburgh Fringe, which is, that's a harsh a harsh landscape for feeling rejected I think you have to find your own audience and the people who do love it and with my first book is Monogamy Dead which I feel isn't a million miles away from the sort of book that this is but I think I've developed slightly as a writer and I've done really something I enjoyed and found very interesting with the structure a sort of backwards and forwards timeline a bit like a butterfly and we have this lovely image of the butterfly kind of opening its wings and how kind of get to the apex of the butterfly and then move move kind of forwards in time again um, to to sort of look at how we can look backwards and forwards and look at our relationships through a different lens sometimes even though you're looking at the same time period sometimes we see it differently and see different things depending on our frame of mind of of how we're looking back or forwards so yeah I think I'm okay there are always going to be some people you can't please everybody all of the time and I've certainly felt that sometimes as a comedian and to some extent, I think if, you know, you have people who like you and then you have a few people who don't like you, you're sort of doing something right. Because if everybody liked you, it, you might just be a bit meh and a bit bland and a bit mainstream. I think you've got to say something a bit edgy and out there and get one or two people's backs up to actually get a response and a reaction. I mean, my book is Monogamy Dead was definitely had a slightly provocative title and was really questioning some ideas that we have held for a long time about being exclusive and faithful and and what that means and sort of thinking about affairs and the fact that actually, we're not always very good at monogamy. You know, some people don't want to hear that. And I, I mean, in um, some of my shows about the monogamy book I used to read out a protest letter that got delivered to Hernhill Books when I was doing a little show there it had been posted through the letterbox before they opened that morning because I was going to appear there later and a gentleman had taken the time to write a very funny letter about how he didn't agree with my book I mean he hadn't actually read it <laughs> he said he wasn't going to spend money on buying it oh, <laughs> He he kind of went into great detail about his, um, you know, his marriage and his children's marriages and and their grandchildren. And, um, yeah, (laughs) it was a really funny letter, which, of course, I was like, God, this is brilliant. You know, this is brilliant, rich comedy material that I must I must read out at some of my shows. And I think um, on my Facebook page, um, if people trawl back a couple of years or so, you can see me reading that out at Polari Literary Salon at the South Bank. Um, which was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I think you're always going to annoy some people. But also going back to what you were saying about kind of using comedy as therapy, there's a chapter where I talk to a really interesting man called Brian Earp, who is, a, well, a neuroethicist is how I would probably best describe him. And he's written a really interesting book called Love is the Drug about the possible future of, using drugs chemicals um often drugs that we already take and sort of harnessing their side effects to see how we might use them as love drugs or anti-love drugs in the future and we chatted about the film eternal sunshine of the spotless mind which is one of my absolute all-time favorite films i love this kind of what seems like a very science fiction idea that we might be able to erase a breakup from our mind. But it turns out actually it's not completely beyond the realms of possibility after all. Um, Because he talks about a process where people do go into the lab and recall a traumatic memory or you know recall memories about their ex, who they are missing desperately and they are still in a state of trauma, not able to get on with their lives. And if they take a beta blocker whilst recalling these memories you feel less trauma while re-recording them and if you keep re-recording them then actually eventually the the trauma of attached to that memory reduces and I realized that I had without taking a beta blocker I had been through a similar process by talking about the breakup where I got dumped by email many many times in front of an audience their laughter had been the drug that had reduced the trauma of the memory so I'd been through an equivalent process and used the audience's laughter as my sort of recovery drug, if you like, where these memories became almost fun ones because I was able to share them with other people and feel a sense of community and a sense of understanding.
0: That sense of solidarity really comes through in the podcast as well, that people really want to excavate these horrible memories and kind of find somebody else who hears them and goes oh yeah that happened to me too or actually this even worse thing happened to me and and suddenly through that collective process things aren't so bad after all yeah what have been your kind of big takeaways from the book and the the podcast and, and from this whole journey really do you think there is a good in air quotes way to break up with somebody
2: Well, it's always going to be difficult. It's always going to be painful. But actually, what I also wanted to reflect in the book, given that I have, you know, in my life had a number of close friends who have struggled because of prejudice, because of poor mental health, um, you know, within the LGBTQ community. There, there is about double the rate of sort of common mental health disorders, depression and anxiety and so on that you would find in the broader community of everybody, including heterosexual people. So, you know, I also wanted to reflect that some people get into relationships that are really difficult and really unhealthy and really traumatic. And sometimes getting out of that situation might be a good thing. So I also, you know, I was keen to reflect that sometimes the relationship itself is the difficult thing. Sometimes a relationship, you know, may have served a purpose, even if it was really healthy and really good for a while. So sometimes a breakup is a good thing. It's not necessarily always this narrative that, you know, divorce is bad. There's actually a chapter called The Good Breakup which is looking at the exciting new life journeys and adventures people have been on in the wake of a heartbreak and the sort of creative energy that they have felt, a new sexual energy that they have felt, and they've been able to harness that and go on to do wonderful things, new projects, new careers. So I think there is, there is a case that you can argue that breakups can be a really good thing and a really positive thing sometimes, which is why to some extent I sort of jokingly say I'm a breakup addict because it's actually in those gaps between relationships I've got really exciting stuff done like I began comedy and (laughs) you know I began writing my first book and uh, many many years ago I launched a boutique music PR company after a breakup so there's something about the sort of energizing force of newness and reinvention and transformation that can be exciting and and healthy and it can it can really rejuvenate us obviously you don't want to take it too far and then never commit to and never stay with anybody but i i do think there are there are ways of harnessing good out of the pain of a breakup
0: mm, mm. creating a successful comedy career sounds like a very good <laughs> a very good, decent response to being broken up with do you think that's um i wonder if that's something to do with wanting to be seen and heard maybe after a breakup as well
2: yeah i think i think i agree that there is something about communicating that is important that you feel I think that's the most frustrating thing about a breakup isn't it you always feel someone hasn't heard your side of the story and of course they're thinking that as well <laughs> and it's just that those two sides of the story are in conflict Um they don't quite match and I talk about a couple of our friends who I mean obviously the friends I talk about uh, are given slightly different names um, but <laughs> I, I hope I talk about everybody really affectionately. And there are two of our friends who we go on a skiing holiday with, um, with the chapter heading It's All Downhill From Here <laughs> because um we're kind of observing these two people we really like and we really love as a couple because they're just so fun and wonderful together. Um because they're both a bit disorganized and chaotic. Um and we sort of quite enjoy looking after them a bit and lending them sunglasses and ski jackets and things that they've just forgotten to pack on a ski holiday. <laughs> um, but we're watching them sort of slightly un- unravel and sort of, you know, with the high, you know, cause I tell the first half of the book backwards, you know, with the hindsight of knowing that they are going to break up and um, just looking for these little fragments of, of things that may mean that actually that relationship isn't going to last. And yeah so I can't remember what the original question was now but
0: I can't either I'm just so enjoying (laughs) I'm just getting
2: (laughs) having a good old
0: chat yeah I'm so I I, like you um and so many people I think are going to love this get being sucked into other people's relationship stories and I love that dissecting of, of what's going on and why did this happen? It kind
2: of yeah. it's quite a healing process, I think. Well, I, I get really fascinated in why other people break up as well, because I have talked in my first book as well, and now in this one, about the sort of quite fragile ecosystem of relationships, because there is a real effect, um, like a contagion effect, a sort of social contagion, where if your friends break up, you are more likely to, because it does kind of trigger you to ask questions about whether you are happy or not so you know nowadays people do break up fairly frequently so I think we see that and we think am I happy we're in quite an individualistic society where we're all posting on social media and that encourages a certain kind of narcissism really doesn't it and we are all more concerned about our own individual freedom and happiness than we might have been in previous generations our parents and grandparents generations
0: Mm, too much freedom almost isn't it or is
2: it well i mean that's been curtailed hasn't it so who knows i mean (laughs)
0: oh what's the matter god i'm just sad it's the end of that interview already burn i wish i could hear more
1: oh you can you wally there's the whole shit I wish I'd known segment for you in which Rosie shares her insider info about earnings, advances, research and some gossip about her front cover. If you want to hear her say, gosh, <laughs> or more heterosexual ish, visit patreon.com forward slash NonficPod and sign up to support the podcast with a small monthly donation. In fact, for the price of a large foamy mocha, you can hear bonus content Get a sexy shiny sticker, and receive an actual shout out on the podcast. Wow, trousers. That website address again, please burn. That's www.patreon.com forward slash pod. That was the divine Rosie Wilby talking about her latest book, The Breakup Monologues, which is out with Green Tree in May. Pre-order now via our store on uk.bookstore.org forward slash shop forward slash non pod or simply google bookstore.org non pod. Your purchase there will support our podcast as well as our authors and independent bookshops.
0: Find Rosie at rosiewilby.com or follow her on Twitter at Rosie Willby. She's also got an Instagram feed for the Breakup Monologues, which she thoroughly recommends and haven't taken a look at it yet, but I will ASAP. It's at breakup monologues. That's all. Oh, I am a massive
1: Insta slut and it is great. I highly recommend it.
0: There you go. Now, methinks it might be time to hear your second breakup story, Burn. Go, go. So I went out with a
1: chap who was Greek and quite a bit younger than me lots of long, shiny hair. I think that was a lot to do with it. He was a drummer. I was young and naive at the time. And we split up over temperamental incompatibility, by which I mean he was a wanker and I'm not. And after we'd split up, he would occasionally sort of send me an email. I remember the first one going, I thought we were going to have children together. I was like, my God. He got in touch and he said, I'm really sorry that we broke up. Um, I've just not been right. You know, in myself for for a while lately. Uh, my mum's been very ill. It turns out she's got cancer, and I'm just feeling very sad and lonely. And oh my god, at the time I had such savior complex. I was like, all right, we'll go out for a coffee. And it was like, you know, please cheer me up with your magic vagina. And so I did, because I'm an idiot. But I was like, this, this doesn't alter anything. We are fundamentally not supposed to be together. And then A few weeks later, he was like, she's very, very sick. And I'm very, very sad. And could I please talk to you? Okay, we can talk, but there will be no sex times. To my credit, there were no sex times. in that. I managed to, you know, not get sympathied into sex, brother. And then he tried it on again. He's like, oh, no, my mum has died. And we can't go out for coffee because I can't leave the house because I'm in mourning. Can you come round to my apartment and I went around and there was like this little shrine to his mum there was a black framed photo and some flowers in front and a black armband and I was like well I'm still not going to shag you but you know I'm I'm here to listen and ended up leaving after him sort of putting on some fairly strenuous moves and me saying obviously you're, you're, you're grieving far too much for this then I run into another friend of his I'd gone up to Birmingham where we'd first met and I ran into this friend of his and I said oh I was really really sorry to hear about this guy's mum and he said well What's happened to her? And I said, She she died. And he said, When did that happen? I "I think a couple of weeks ago. He's like, That is so weird because I was on the phone to her last Thursday. Oh, what a scumbag. I know. So I banged on it. I went round to his house, I banged on his door, and I got back to London and I went, You never email me, text me call me. If you see me in the street, you look at the floor, you cross the road, you do not acknowledge that you've seen me, you sick fuck. And about six months later, lo and behold, our paths almost did cross and he did. I will give him this. He did look at the floor, cross the road and completely avoid me. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's because he was scared or whether he was uh, respecting my wishes, but that was a weird freaking breakup or rather a weird attempt by someone to not break up, uh, that yes, he fake killed his mum.
0: I feel like someone should have sent a little message to his mum. Did you know that your son keeps wishing you dead to get booty calls? What have you raised here?
1: Yeah, um, that, was, that, that was an intriguing post-breakup bit of drama. Whereas I'm usually, I don't tend to bemoan relationships and I'm still, you know, I'm Twitter buddies with most of my exes, let's face it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the most passionate either in, you know, falling for someone or falling out of love. I'm I'm a bit too depressingly pragmatic. I certainly wouldn't fake kill someone for sex.
0: <laughs> I think that might be a line for a trailer, don't you? Uh, yes. Yes. Would
1: you yes. fake kill someone for booty?
0: Cool. <laughs> oh eight hundred. B-O-O-T. But... Why? Um Why? Why? <laughs> right <laughs> moving on reluctantly it is now sadly time to wrap up this episode of non-fic pod but before we do usually around about this time in the in the show we will give our book recommendations what we've been reading in the non-fiction world today something a little bit different one of our listeners nicola has sent in a recording of her recommendations having listened to our first episode very first episode of the show where Bern and I talk about what we like. And I gotta say, I'm adding these to the reading list
3: pronto. Hi, Bern and Cod. I had some book recommendations I thought you might like to hear. For Cod, I know that you mentioned you really like the thrill-seeking nonfiction. And so I can really recommend Traces by Patricia Wiltshire. It's about a forensic scientist who specializes in things like soil and pollen um, and nature, essentially. She uses nature as evidence in murder trials and things like that. And it really reads like a crime mystery and it's got equal amounts of gore as well. And then, Burn for you, you mentioned kind of the, you know, the matchmaking, the love letters. One book I'm reading at the moment is Shapely Ankle Preferred. And that's all about lonely heart ads from 1600s right through to 2010. I'm only in the 1600s at the moment, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how it develops. Thank you, Nicola. If anyone else
0: wants to send in their recommendations to us, don't forget to tweet us at nonficpod or Insta at the same handle.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Pod with Burn and Cod. Our guest this week was Rosie Wilby non-thick Pod is brought to you by Beatrice Bazelle, Emma Byrne, Georgie Cod, and Mike Wire. Our Patreon supporters are Juliet Miller, Claire and Alexander, Nicola Myrams, Alexandra Coyne, David Corney, and Mike Wire. okay, dokie. Okie
0: dokie. I won't do
1: that voice. Oh, go on. It's lovely. <laughs> help us by rating, reviewing, and sharing non pod. Every little helps to build our audience, and that means we get to share fantastic non-fiction with more people just like you. And it helps us to keep bringing you the greatest authors and the hottest reads.